Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific show lined up for you today, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events, including what's happened in Ukraine, Hungary, and uh, terrorism in Israel. We'll also uh, visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His latest novel uh, just came out, No Problem. It's a great read. We'll visit with uh, Jim as well. It is April the 4th, and on this day in 1841, President William Henry Harrison died after serving only 32 days in office this day in 1841. Harrison holds the unfortunate presidential record of the shortest term in office. Ironically, the man with the shortest White House tenure delivered the longest inaugural address in history, which may have been his undoing. This first presidential speech delivered on a bitterly cold March morning, clocked it at one hour and 45 minutes. Harrison went to bed at the uh, end of the inauguration day with a bad cold and soon developed into a fatal case of pneumonia. Harris was the last president born as an English subject before the American Revolution. A native of Virginia, he attended college with the intent of studying medicine, but opted to join the Army before finishing his degree. President John Adams took note of Harrison's exemplary service in the Indian Wars of the Northwest Territories and in 1801 appointed him governor of the Northwest Territories, now Indian and Illinois. Harrison later fought in the Battle of Thames, uh, the Thames, Thames River, uh, during the War of 1812. He went on to become a congressman and uh, ambassador to Columbia before running with John Tyler on the Whig Party ticket in the presidential election of 1840. Much to the horror of the political establishment, Harrison and Tyler campaigned in a vigorous style considering unseemingly in their era. They used Harrison's nickname, Tippecanoe, which he had earned during the Battle of the Brutal Indian War campaign at Tippecanoe Creek and concocted the campaign slogan, Tippecanoe and Tyler II. Harrison and Tyler held boisterous rallies during which they handed out free bottles of hard cider housed in a little log cabin-shaped bottles. Their tactics, however, controversial, were successful, and on March the 4th, 1841, he was sworn in as the ninth United States president. Upon his death, Harrison left behind a widow, Anna, and three surviving children. His grandson, Benjamin, became the 23rd president of the United States in 1889. Unlike his grandfather, Benjamin Harrison served a full term, but lost his re-election bid to Grover Cleveland in 1892. I believe Grover Cleveland is the only president to have served two terms, but not consecutively. Hmm, wonder if that might be uh, Donald Trump's fortune as well. Well, Tiger Woods announced Sunday that his participation in this week's Masters will be a quote-unquote game-time decision. I'll be heading up to Augusta today to continue my preparation and practice, he tweeted. It will be a game-time decision on whether I compete. Uh, Woodford, who reportedly played a practice round at Augusta National Club on Tuesday, has not played in an official tournament since February 2021 in that car crash that he had. The Masters begins on Thursday. Now, Woods won, just to remind you, maybe the greatest golfer of all time. He won a green jacket, the Masters, in 97, 2001, 2002, 2005, and 2019. Five Masters jackets. Tremendous, unbelievable accomplishment. Also, I want to note that Estelle Harris, who hollered her way back into history as George Costanza's short-fused mother on Seinfeld and voiced Mr. Potato Head in Toy Story, yeah, that franchise has died. She was 93. As a middle-class matron, Estelle Costanza, Harris put a uh, memorable stamp on a recurring role in the Smash 1990s sitcom. With her high-pitched voice and humorously overbearing attitude, she was an archetypical maternal indig uh, indignation. Trading insults and absurdities on her on-screen husband, played by Jerry Stiller, Harris helped create a parental pair 
that would leave even a psychiatrist helpless to do anything but hope that they'd move to Florida, which, of course, their son Jason Alexander fruitlessly encouraged them to do. Uh, Jason Alexander will forever be George Costanza, and I don't think he can be cast in a role, but uh, I don't think he'll ever get another part because I always think of him as George Costanza. In any event, extremely entertaining, lots of laughs from Estelle Harris. Uh, rest in peace. Former Alaska governor and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin announced Friday that she's running for Congress. She released a statement on Facebook announcing she's throwing her hat into the ring in the special election to replace the late Republican Congressman Don Young, who died in mid-March after almost 50 years in Congress. Friday was the deadline to join the June 11th primary election, and Palin joins a crowded field that already contains more than 40 candidates. The results of the primary election will be announced on June 26th, and the top four finishers will advance to a special election on August the 16th, where the winner will be chosen via ranked-choice voting. Palin served as uh, mayor of Wasilla, Alaska. She also served as uh, chair of the Alaska Oil and Conservation Commission. She was elected as a Republican to become Alaska's ninth governor in 2006 and served as presidential candidate John McCain's running mate in his failed 2008 election bid. Former President Donald Trump enthusiastically endorsed former Alaska Governor Salem Palin in her run to fill his seat, uh, Don Young's seat. And I'm sure that'll go a long way to supporting her her name recognition and uh, Donald Trump's support. I'm quite frank, sure will she'll end up uh, getting winning the seat. We'll see. Well, the National Fraternal Order of Police reported that 101 officers have been shot in the line of duty as of Friday so far this year, and its president said it's uh, unlike anything he's ever witnessed in a 43% increase compared to the number of officers who were shot at the same time last year, and a 63% rise compared to the year before. According to the Fraternal Order Police monthly update, of officers shot 17 were killed by gunfire. We're in the midst of a real crisis. The violence directed at law enforcement officers is unlike anything I've seen in 36 years of law enforcement, said Patrick Yoz. Last year uh, was one of the most dangerous years for law enforcement, with more officers shot in the line of duty than the National Order for, uh, of Police began record, recording this data, he uh, added. In a social media post on Friday, the uh, Fraternal Order of Police called the data horrific, adding it was an absolute stain on our society. When the vast majority of media elites decide that this isn't worth covering, it speaks volumes as to where our society is heading, the organization continued. States with the most officers killed this year were Arizona, Texas, New York, Georgia, Washington, that according to a Fox News article. In February, uh, 13 officers located in different areas of the country were shot in a 24-hour period. Meanwhile, Reverend uh, Franklin Graham criticized radical attorneys general and prosecutors following the attacks and killings of officers across the nation, the outlet reported. Uh, Graham wrote in a social media post that prosecutors and attorneys general are allowing hardened criminals to commit crimes and walk back onto the streets, sometimes within hours. This isn't hard to figure out that it puts the police and public at great risk. These prosecutors and attorneys general need to be held accountable for what they are doing to our communities and how it is affecting people's lives, he said. God holds us accountable down to every word we speak, and he demands truth because he is truth, uh, Graham continued. Uh, this is a stain, I think, uh, on all of us, but also on this administration. It's been supportive of defund the police. Now they're trying to walk all this back, but nevertheless, the results are the results. I think when it comes to the big eyes, which would be inflation and uh, illegal immigration, uh, uh, the lack of respect for law enforcement will also be included in the red wave uh, that happens in the midterms in 2022. Well, a new report claims President Joe Biden had told people he wants former President Donald Trump to be prosecuted. This leak was published in the New York Times on Saturday as Democrats mount increasing pressure on Justice Department to take action against Trump and people within his orbit to, in relation to the Capitol riot. At Focus, our Attorney General Merrick Garland, it is deliberative approach, as the report put it, against uh, causing real frustration for this progressive administration. 
As recently as last year, Mr. Biden confided to his inner circle that he believed former President Donald Trump was a threat to democracy and should be prosecuted, according to two people. And while the president has never communicated his frustrations directly to Mr. Garland, he has said privately that he wanted Mr. Garland to act less like a ponderous judge and more like a prosecutor who is willing to take decisive action over the events of January the 6th. <laughs> Here's a guy that, in my opinion, I think the election was stolen on uh, November the 3rd. And now uh, this president wants to have the uh, president of the United States, who's more popular than he is right now, somehow uh, convicted. Just what Trump would be prosecuted for is unclear. However, the House Committee investigating the Capitol riot says its investigators have reason to believe Trump and his associates broke multiple laws and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. In a recent court filing for John Eastman, a, a Trump-linked conservative lawyer, the panel said it's evidence to show Trump made engaged in criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States and illegally impede Congress's counting of electoral votes. They, you know, they really, <laughs> this is, this is so absurd. But nevertheless, the House Committee can only make a criminal referral. And if Garland does this, uh, he will stoop lower, in my opinion, than uh, even I believed he could. Uh, Trump committed no crimes. He said he wanted people to approach the Capitol peacefully to protest uh, the obvious irregularities in the election on November the 3rd, 2020. Official results from Hungary's uh, general election on Sunday showed nationalist Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's Fidesz party has won its fourth term in office by a much greater margin than pre-election polls had suggested after a campaign overshadowed by the war in neighboring Ukraine. This is in the face of massive opposition from the Biden regime, the uh, European Union, and George Soros. Open society-tied NGOs have recently tried to introduce a program of transgenderism into Hungary. In the campaign, the globalist anti-Orban parties have formed an alliance with the neo-Nazi parties to dethrone Orban. Addressing a jubilant crowd chanting his name, many of them wearing uh, the orange party color, Orban said, we've won a great victory, a victory so great you could perhaps see it from the moon and certainly from Brussels. His administration has presided over repeated confrontations with the European Union, including over the neutering of the press and judiciary and measures targeted at the LGBTQ community, also the subject of vote on Sunday. The 58-year-old, already the longest-serving head of government in EU, was challenged by six united opposition parties seeking to roll back the illiberal revolution of his party and has pursued uh, during 12 consecutive years in office. With all but 94% of the votes counted, Felice was the, uh, on the 53% compared to 35% of the opposition, a result which means the party will retain its two-thirds majority in parliament. Congratulations. If you haven't seen Tucker Carlson's interview of Victor Orban, it's certainly worth viewing. You can find it on TuckerCarlson.com and also on uh, Fox Nation. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No 
reservations are needed, check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore House. Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best right now, playing The Invisible Hand, getting great reviews, and it's running through March the 16th. You can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we're going to be talking about current global events, and uh, let's start with an update on Ukraine and what's going on there. Okay, so first and foremost, the Ukrainians are winning the war, period. And there's no two ways about it. They've pushed the Russians out of the whole area of northern Ukraine, the whole area of the Kiev area. Um, hundreds and hundreds of Russian tanks and etc. have been destroyed, and the Russians have been forced to withdraw completely in that area. Um, so that's the good news. Um, the bad news is when they pushed them out, they discovered you know, war crimes beyond anything that people had thought could possibly be taking place these days. You know, uh, people being tied up and shot, being shot uh, from behind the neck, you know, behind uh, women being raped, little children being raped, it seems like. Uh, the whole litany of, of war crimes that took place in the towns that were conquered by uh, by the Russians. Um, so we really have um, a terrible, terrible situation with the Russian army. Um, and, um, you know, thankfully for the Ukrainians, at least in one area, they've managed to push the Russians back. The Russians now seem to be trying to concentrate on the Eastern Front, um, which they might have had been successful if this is what they had done from the very beginning. Uh-huh. Um, but now it's going to be much more difficult because their army is in pretty bad shape at this point. Yeah, so, mor- morale is uh, quite low for the for the army as well as I understand it. As for the reports are so, uh, right. The army doesn't understand what they're doing there. They're losing soldiers left and right. Uh, the Ukrainians are outfighting them. Uh, they have better intelligence, probably thanks to the United States and and the Allies. They have better weapons in the sense that the uh, high tech weapons, the the uh, shoulder launch anti tank missiles, etc., are higher tech than the Russian. You know the, the Russian big tanks and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Russian army tend, you know, it, it's what they call a Potemkin army, which means it has a it has a facade of being good, but it really was terrible. Which is, a, and then on top of everything else, you have, you know, at this point, I'm willing to put um, Putin pretty high up there on the on the on the worst uh, worst leaders of the 20 21st century. Doesn't quite make it to Hitler, but he. He's running a nice second or third to some of the other people. Out well, there. it's hard to understand exactly what he's working to accomplish at this point. He's pretty well isolated himself uh, internationally, except for perhaps China. I'm not certain even about that. 
And, uh, you know, he's uh, certainly has uh, so many sanctions now against him. I don't know how much of impact it's having on him, but they're certainly having an impact on the Russian people. Right. But now he's, you know, he, he's one of these situations where he has to keep on doubling down because he, he, a dictator can't admit defeat. And this is what you'd get at this point if he, if, you know, if, if to pull out right now, admit defeat, then, of course, all the dead Russians and everything else that are related to this isn't going to go over well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about all the terrible things that happened to the Ukrainians. I mean, I think also about the Russian parents who've all lost their their sons primarily for what reason exactly? So doesn't doesn't this open the door for uh, some sort of peace negotiations? And it it seems like everything is stalled at this point. Well, it's stalled because so far, you know, Putin. Listen, Putin won't admit he's lost and. Um, it won't take a face-saving, you know, the, the face-saving answer out of this would be for the uh, Ukrainians to agree they won't join NATO for the, I mean, their, their, their position was clear. We won't join NATO for the foreseeable future. We will join the EU. We'll discuss for the next 15 years what to do about the Crimea. But the Russians haven't accepted that. Or the Donbass region. more difficult because, because, Obviously, the Ukrainian people are more and more angry as they see what the Russians have done. Mm. So, questions of reparations, who's going to pay to rebuild Ukraine that was destroyed by the Russians? And then we're living in this never-never world where, you know, uh, the Russians can claim, they, they, they go to the UN today to bring up the massacres done by the Ukrainian people in the Ukrainian army in Bukha. So, so do, you, do you have a notion yeah. about who's resisting? I mean, is it uh, who who's standing in the way of uh, furthering the peace negotiations? Is it Putin. Uh, Putin for sure? Just Putin. Putin, of course. He's he's the one who decides. He's the one. Listen, um, he is the one. He is at this point. I just call him evil. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. Anyone who supports him is evil, um, and people have to understand that. Um, you know, he's not a communist, but it doesn't make a difference. You know, labels don't make any difference. You know, Hitler wasn't a communist either. You know, yeah. we, we, we're always so upset about communists, but it's not a question of being a communist or not. It's a question of being an evil dictator, which is what he is. Well, but he's also no pragmatic. Concern. He's not an uh, ideologue of any sort. So it seems to me that uh, he has a lot at stake right now, and he could cert certainly solve his problem by sitting down at the, at the table and talking about the uh, solution. No, he won't accept it. The solution is clear. He just won't accept it. Is the bottom line at this point, at mm. least. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, he's going to. He's going to. My view is he's going to. He's going to try one more great hurrah. Where he's going to try to do a major move from from eastern Ukraine, attacking eastern Ukraine. Uh, most military analysts don't expect it to be successful, but who knows? Who knows? So let's move to a big election in Hungary. Uh, the results are kind of surprising. Well, not shock, not shocking or not surprising, I guess. But uh, uh, it was supposed to be closer than it was. Uh, Viktor Orban has uh, won re-election and now has served uh, for 12 years. I think he's the longest-standing uh, leader in the uh, EU. Uh, what are your thoughts? Right. Well, because he's, he's basically become a dictator um, by changing the laws and the Constitution to allow himself to keep on running. Um, remember what's you know he's the only one he's the only one of the former um Soviet satellite states that will not that is part of the EU that is not giving um is not giving Ukraine uh lethal aid. And he, in his victory speech last night he announced I've I've been victorious against all all enemies and he mentioned Zelensky as one of his enemies. Mm hmm. I wonder why. Well, because Zelensky represents real democracy at this point, and Orban is not. Orban is an autocrat. He's a Putin lover more than anything else, um, and you know he hasn't. He's he's said he opposes the the Russian invasion, but has done very little to help, to say the least. Well, I would uh, say that I don't know if you had the opportunity to see Tucker Carlson's interview of Viktor Orban, but it was really revealing and interesting. One of the things he's accomplished is, uh, you know, peace, and he's guarded his borders uh, very well so that uh, he doesn't have people coming into the country that uh, aren't permitted to come into the country. 
Uh, he's uh, certainly independent. He's uh, running this country in a very independent way. A lot of things to say. I don't know about his. Uh, he was just elected. I don't know were the elections is somehow tinged or or dirty or. Then, then, no, they don't really think it's tinged. Don't forget that. I mean, I'm not a great. You know, the Hungarians were on the wrong side of World War II as well. Yeah. Um, you know, let's put it this way: Tucker Carlson has not come out of the last uh, two months. Uh, sitting pretty, let's put it that way, in his views of the conflict in Ukraine and Putin and everything else. So who he interviews is an interesting question in, in and of itself. Um, well, that was interview happened long before the uh, war started. Right, I understand that, but it just, it, it's a pattern, let's put it that way. I have not really understood why people, uh, why Amer- certain Americans like Viktor Orbach so much. I mean, you can talk about the borders, I guess that's, that's something. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we get... Let me put it this way. There is a problem I see in American politics today where um, too much of ident- – I'll call it identity politics for, for lack of any other, any other term. But too much of, of that sort of politics is overwhelming America's geopolitical interests and geopolitical needs. And so you can like Orbach because he – you know, he, he's strong against immigration and he's against wokeism or whatever it is. Um, but the reality is he's been the good friend of Putin more than anybody else in the EU, to say the least. And in this particular conflict, he's come out on the wrong side of things. And he's uh, limited to extreme extent. In other words, the election itself was free, but there's no free press in Hungary to a lot, to, to the most extent. Yeah, well, I think so, it's pe- the people, the citizens of uh Hungary have reason to be grateful for the peace and uh, for the lack of crime and for all the things that uh, he's his administration. Uh, do the people has brought... of Sweden not, not? Do the people of Finland not? Do the people of Estonia not? The people of Latvia not? The Lithuania? I can go right through all the country, other countries in the EU. They're doing very, very well. Yeah. Oh, well, so, that may be the case, but shouldn't the people in Hungary be grateful for that as well? Yeah, they can be grateful for it absolutely, but they don't need to keep electing someone who changes the constitution to make sure he stays in power. Well, I, I don't know about that aspect of it, but nevertheless, he certainly seemed well-spoken. And what I really appreciate is his stand against globalism. Uh, he's uh, stood up against the EU and he stood up against uh, the, the push towards he can't world have it both ways, though. He became Hungary's part of the EU. I understand that. Stand up against the EU and be part of the EU. If you don't want to be part of the EU, then, then you know, get out of the EU. Don't take all their money. And then, on the other hand, be against them. You can't. You can't have it both ways. Well, I think you can certainly have your own opinions and be part of the EU. I think I appreciate the, the position that he's taken. But for, for that reason, let's all let's move to what's happening in Israel. It's quite concerning. There's an outbreak of terrorism. Right, there's been a series of terror attacks for the last week. I mean, it's been been disconcerting. Let's put it that way. Um, so much so that um, yeah, I was last. I guess it's last Sunday. Last Sunday, yeah, sun, Sunday was um, the second of the, of the three attacks. So there were three attacks in the last week, or actually, it was a fourth attack. Four attacks, each one from a completely different perpetrator. In other words, two of them were Arab Israelis, but one of them was someone from the south, and one was someone from the north. One of them was from from someone in Jenin, which is in the northern West Bank, and one of them was in the southern West Bank. Uh, very little to tie them all together, and it's not at all clear um, why they suddenly started happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in th- these cases, if and there have been terror attacks over the years, obviously on a regular basis, but mostly they were aimed at policemen or, or soldiers. Um, these attacks were just aimed at civilians to kill as many as possible. Yeah. In each case, they were stopped primarily because there were off-duty army units really nearby and happened to intervene quickly. When in the case of B'nai Brak, the police policemen came quickly. Interestingly enough, in two of the cases, there were Arab Israelis who were the police or the army people who brought an end to this. My understanding so, is that the uh, is, Israeli government has uh, sought to uh, uh, deal with the problem in a very pragmatic way, which is helping the people in the Palestinian administration uh, achieve some degree of uh, financial security or some degree of, uh, of uh, financial success, uh, but they're still ideologues. They still uh, they, this appears this appears to be a continuation of the uh, uh, the whole ideology of not having Israel have the right to exist. 
Right, very much so. Look, the ideology, that ideology has has limited, or I should put it this way, has has made it impossible to reach a peace agreement to this date. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any point along the way, there could have been peace based on some sort of partition of the land, based on, you know, go all the way back to 1947, uh, 48, uh, 67. You could pick any pick any particular time, and there was a there was a point where you know, there could have been a partition agreed to. But each time, uh, there's been a core group of Palestinians who refuse to accept any sort of compromise. And as we know, in any given situation, often the more radicals are the ones who end up um, end up the ones determining policy, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in some ways, during the period of time of Oslo, they determined policy by the fact that they would engage in all the all the suicide bombings which made everyone much more wary of the possibility of peace, obviously. Is there any credence to the whole notion that they don't want to uh, may, uh, achieve statehood because it would have them uh, be held accountable to international law? Uh, you could make some point there, but I don't I don't think that's it. I think the, ultimately the issue is they're not willing to compromise their most, base, their most basic, two basic points. One is to, to permanently give up on any hope of, of certain parts of the land not being theirs, they're not willing to give up on the idea that the refugees from 70 years ago um, can uh, not come home, come what was once their homes, even though, you know, Israel has said anyone who's still alive from then can, is, is welcome to come back, but not the fifth generation. Yeah. The Palestinians are the only ones who refugees maintain uh, generation to generation to generation. So... It's so interesting. I, I, I have difficulty believing that uh, somehow, some way, uh, the average citizen in Palestine has these uh, these feelings. I, you know, I just happen to think it's just all controlled by a small group of people. I just uh, is uh, Hamas still in charge, or what's going on there? Hey, Hamas is still in charge in in Gaza, but the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. But you see, I think you're wrong. I think it goes much deeper and wider. Uh-huh. You'll find so many Palestinians as a center point in their in their temporary homes, which they'll call it in the West Bank or in Jordan or refugees, and I mean, a lot of them are still refugees, um, will pull out the key to their house or their apartment that no longer exists from 70 years ago, handed down from the grandparents. So there there really is this this sense, and they've been taught that generation by generation. It's kind of like the McCoys. (laughs) Yeah, to some extent, but, but... Again, it's an impractical, and it's not going to happen. And until there's an understanding of that, um, doesn't make a difference what Israel does. There, there won't be a peace agreement that can that can last. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. Well, let's let's. Uh, there's uh, now China is starting to crack down. I think it's in Singapore or Shanghai, if I'm not mistaken. Shanghai. Shanghai is on complete lockdown. Twenty-three million people are currently on complete lockdown. They're having the army test everybody. Uh, the numbers are rising. Um, hopefully, it won't be like Hong Kong. The problem in China is is multifold. So, number one, because the the, the disease COVID never beyond the very initial point where they had this very stringent lockdowns and got rid of it, COVID hasn't been in most of China until now. So, there's absolutely no natural natural immunity out there at all. Mm-hmm. Number two. Um, Older people have not gotten the shots in any any sort of percentage like the rest of the world. In other words, in almost all of the Western world, people over 60, you're at 95 to 98 uh, percent have received the shot. Mm-hmm. In China, it's a much much lower number uh, because they didn't think they needed it because there was no COVID in China. You give a lot of different reasons. Number three, those that got the shot got the Chinese vaccine, which is not nearly as effective as the mRNA vaccine that it's used in the states. Uh, so you have this combination of factors, and um, it could be devastating. You know, the other thing that always worries me that we don't know about it, since we still don't know the origins of this disease, I sometimes worry that the Chinese, what we see is an overreaction, maybe because they know something we don't. I don't know. Well, that's just, exactly my, my, what is it, my question is, what is it they know that we don't? Because, uh, you know, exactly. the, there's, there's, uh, if, I, I do not know. You know, we've never really figured out long COVID. I mean, I know people who are a year later are still suffering, so I just don't know. And so we don't know what they don't know. All we know is they, they are the most stringent when it comes to trying to stamp out COVID. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, just just imagine if the Chinese were in charge of Florida, you'd have you know, <laughs> what sort of armed rebellion you'd have? Uh, well, I, the uh, the question also raises the question about whether uh, the the viruses are going to take its course, and whether the uh, Chinese act activities have simply delayed the process. Perhaps that could be the case. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it, there is apparently a new variant that people are concerned about. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll right, so this new, new variant, from what I understand, um, is just even more transmittable than the original Omicron. It's not any more virulent. So if you're vaccinated, uh, the, the chances of getting particularly sick are almost nothing. Uh, if you're not at all vaccinated and have no immunity whatsoever, you can get very sick, from, it, from what I understand. Uh, but it's incredibly transmittable, and so that's always a concern. Um, but again, you know, on one level, everyone's saying, how long can this go on? We have to live return to some sort of normal lives as much as possible. Here in Israel, they're basically people are living almost completely normal lives, and the numbers are still fairly high. Uh, and they are quite high, actually, at the moment. But on the other hand, the numbers of people who are um, in hospitals continues to decrease at a constant basis. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's evolving into the flu. I mean, that's not the flu, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The equivalent to the flu, in that case, then it's more or less over. But we just don't know because of these variants and because we don't know what, where it all began, which is always a great concern. Sure. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, going to visit with Linda Harden. Linda's my wife. She also is extremely well-informed about what's happening around the world. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Linda Harden. She's not only my wonderful wife, but she's also the author of... No more. I'm not... I'm not Greetings doing, from Paradise. not doing it anymore. Well, it's still... It's, it's archived on my website. If you'd like to uh, read a couple of Linda's columns, you can go to uh, bobharden.com and you'll find Greetings from Paradise, a pull-down tab there. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Happy Monday. Happy Monday. So uh, we are watching uh, the final four on uh, Saturday night, but also Trump had a rally, and you, what, any thoughts? I was, I was multitasking on Saturday yeah, night. I know. So we were watching the, the basketball game, and I was watching the Trump rally um, on my iPad, which was great. Uh, 7,000 people indoors, 20,000 people on the outside wanting to get in. Um, did they have a did they have a screen or a closed circuit TV? I, I, don't, I think so. Um, they were and and oh by the way, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, Dan Scavino, his um, social media expert, mm-hmm. the Trump's social media expert, uh, was with with him and and the motorcade coming into this Michigan um, venue was bigger than Biden's. I mean, I'm telling you, if that motorcade was bigger than than uh, Biden's motorcade, bar none. It had to be 20 cars with all the flashing lights, and people were lined up one side, down the other, 20 deep, yeah. cheering. And and by the way, and it, it was so great to watch. Um, Trump Trump spoke for two nearly two hours. Yeah, he was so amazing, and I, I think he's getting younger with every yeah. rally he, he looks does. Great. He looks great. Yeah, it's so interesting to see what's going on because right now the uh, Democrats have to be so frustrated with what they see. They're trying to figure out how to keep, make sure that he can't run for president again. Oh, by the way, you can't do it when you're lying six ways to Sunday, and I, that's what the Democrats are doing. Yeah, and all all everything that Trump has said, everything has, has come, come true. true. Absolutely, everything. Absolutely. I mean, he predicted that we'd have you know seven dollar a gallon gas, which is happening in California. He predicted. Everything that's happening. Oh, by the way, this border thing—it's um, just amazing. I just—I just think something big is gonna—is gonna happen. Something big. But but his rally was so amazing, and he was so upbeat, and and he—it was just an impromptu moment where he says, one woman yelled out, "I love you," and and he says, "I love you too." And impromptu, he said, um, "So anybody who loves me, stand up." Oh my goodness! The entire place stood up and and started cheering yeah. and saying, "We love Trump! We love Trump!" It was no, awesome. No, I think I think what he said was, "I want you to stand up because you said you love me. I'd love to have you stand up." But everybody stood up, so it was. I even, just said that. Uh, no, it was even <laughs> more impressive than that. It was pretty pretty amazing. He was he was he was just awesome, and he touched on um, the election fraud, and he and he introduced. By the way, this this woman, of course, I can't remember her name. Now, Christina something, who's running for Secretary of State in Michigan. Yeah. Holy smokes. That woman is a firebrand. She she has nothing on Marjorie Taylor Greene and, 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 and Matt Gates. She is amazing. Yeah. Wow. She, and she's an educated um, woman who's, who's been in the workforce for years, and, and she's just said, enough. I'm not letting these elections get stolen again. Matt DiPerno was another one that, that spoke at, at uh, Trump's rally, who's who's saying, remember what Trump said, and I don't know if you heard this because you were watching the game, but remember what Trump said when he uh, took the oath of office in 2017. He says, I am giving the country back to the people. Well, you see, that's the thing, and what a lot of uh, progressives or Democrats don't understand is that uh, what he brings is hope that we can actually recapture our country for the people. The, the government is uh, a creation of the people, and it's for the people, by the people. And unfortunately, what we see with this administration of Biden is that they're simply trying to make everything uh, government-centric. They're trying to make sure that uh, health care, everything goes to the government and uh, that's not what we want. We you want, will have nothing, and you will be happy. Uh, yeah, you exactly. So, uh, for me, uh, President Donald Trump, he represents true hope. It, it represents the opportunity and the hope that we have to regain this country and uh, make it uh, truly part of the uh, make the Constitution vibrant and real again. Bring Un- back our Bill of Rights. And bring back our Bill of Rights. Absolutely. By so, the way, I have to do a shout out. I was I I talked to you about this last night, and you asked me to send it to you, but. Um, shout out to Seed to Table. Uh, General Michael Flynn caught a ride on one of the Seed to Table's big, <laughs> big trucks from Atlanta down to uh, down to Florida, and it was so cute because because it's, I didn't even know Seed to Table went to Atlanta, but but um, it was a big eighteen wheeler, sixteen wheeler, whatever you call them, truck. And and General Flynn says, well, it, I got into Florida in less time than I would if I had taken uh, an airline. It was yeah. so great highlighted the the driver for seat to table it was very cool it was cool yeah pictures of it as well 
I don't know how he hooked up with the seat-to-table truck driver, but nevertheless, it all worked out. And you know what, uh, Alfie Oaks connections reach far and wide yes they do you know he's got this uh entry-level election position that he won in the last election he has massive influence quite frankly and uh, he he should have because you Mm -hmm. know what he's a in my opinion a great american he runs a fantastic business if you haven't been to seed to table you need to go there and because i i i I see it as the happiest place in Collier County. No question. And with great product and great service. So I just encourage you to, I wish I should I give him a call and see if he wants to advertise on the show because I give him enough free press. But uh, Oh my goodness. I mean, he does, he's he's absolutely, the store is absolutely full all the time. You never need to wait. No. Everything is, you don't need, like Publix and, and Whole Foods have got this self-checkout stuff now, which is, they're trying to, I don't know if they're, I don't know what they're doing if they can't find help or whatever. At seed to table, all the checkout lines, you never have to wait yeah. to get out of there. Everything is Which so, is amazing because yeah. uh, if there's any problem with seed to table, it's finding a place to park. Exactly. Because <laughs> the place is absolutely packed. But they again, to your point, service is great. People are smiling, working. It's, it's, uh, and you know what? During the entire pandemic, nobody had to wear a mask in there, which was just really... That's why I think many people started smiling there is just, uh, they just weren't under the auspices of the Cuyahoga County Commissioners making people wear masks. So, I, you know, you know that my Saturday <clears throat> schedule is usually covers three stores. Yeah. So the, the, it was so great to go to Seed to Table, and then you come back to Publix, and the people are walking around still at this late date with masks on. Yeah. Outside, can't find their cars. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just so um, opposite. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, back to Trump. Uh, one of the things that Democrats are trying to do is uh, they're trying to say, "Hey, uh, he needs to make he should declare the fact that he's a candidate for president." He hasn't done it yet, and that's not fair. Well, it's not fair because they see how he's garnering all this attention with these rallies that he's running across the United States. But uh, you know what he's saying? I'll, I'll declare when I'm ready <laughs> to declare. By the way, he never conceded. He never conceded either. No, he didn't. Uh, well, and you know what? And I know people are tired of hearing this, but uh, I frankly don't think this is over. The results are continuing to be unfolded and un, uh, revealed in Michigan, in, in uh, Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, 137,000 ballots. Uh, there's, there's. Well, in the, sooner I, or later, this is going to weave its way into court. I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the map. I sent it out to a couple friends, but. But most of the majority of, of the counties in Michigan are demanding uh, decertification of the of yeah. the 2020 election. Yeah, I mean that's huge, and the Democrats don't know what to do with that. And you know what? And when it happens, when the first state falls, well, maybe it'll be Georgia next, and then Wisconsin, and uh, and and just just so you know, I mean the Attorney General of Arizona is just um, brought major indictments against uh, yeah. Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State there, who who was who was very instrumental in in making sure that that election was stolen. Yeah, well, and of course, the uh, the folks that make the machines, those voting machines, they've been obstreperous and difficult and not cooperating at all, but now they have to, and I think that still has to be revealed. Mike, Mike Lindell, before uh, Trump spoke, he, Mike Lindell was one of the speakers at the rally, and, and he said that uh, the worst ba- um, ballot... Uh, problem was um stealing of ballots was in california he says 1.5 million ballots or can you imagine votes that? were stolen uh, 1.5 million and in california just barely one in california linda yeah i just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show well done thanks so much for joining us you're welcome am i coming back tomorrow absolutely okay. we'll have linda back on the show tomorrow all right coming up we're going to visit with jim mctagg Jim is a uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a new book. It's really pretty fascinating. It's called No Problem. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I 
Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. As I mentioned before the break, he's also the author. Since his retirement, he's written three novels. Uh, the first two are fo- uh, Follow the Leader, uh, the sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and now a new sequel, No Problem. It's a great reading. I'm reading it right now. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm you know, thinking about uh, if I were still writing a column at Barron's, what would I be laser focused on? And it would be uh, Biden's release of a million gallons of oil a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I think this is the largest expenditure of tax dollars in history on an effort to rescue a political party in advance of the midterm election. See, now that's the first I've heard about this. And uh, I, I, to me, I, I know it's a national security risk to release this oil for political reasons, but I hadn't thought about it as a boondoggle. Tell us, tell us how that works. Well, you know, first of all, this reserve was created in the 70s after the uh, Arab oil embargo. And uh, remember, uh, you know, those of us who are boomers remember long lines at the gas stations because at that time, America's oil production was pre-fracking. It, it, was, it was getting lower and not growing. Mm-hmm. And the experts were telling us that we would run out of oil in, in 20 years. So a sense of panic set in. So they created uh, this reserve at four sites and supposedly it was to hold a billion barrels it got you know its capacity is like 725 million barrels uh, and there have been releases over the years i mean there have been a couple releases to reduce the deficit you know to sell oil to reduce the deficit hmm. uh, uh george bush released some oil to um during the gulf war you know uh, he he assume there would be disruptions of of oil so uh but you know since the creation of the reserve releases had totaled uh 280 million barrels and biden uh this year alone is uh he already released 30 million barrels in in november so that's last year but he, he uh he, he's he's going to release another 180 million so i mean it's more than 50 percent of the releases over the history since the 70s. And purportedly, he, he, he's doing it to fight Putin's inflation. Well, 
we know it's his inflation. It's his political party's inflation. Right. We know that Democrats are in big trouble. Uh, prior to a midterm election, uh, the Congress always spends loads of uh, tax dollars. I mean, that's that's just the way our politics works. Prior to any election, mm. and uh, but but this is just outrageous that the president to rescue the Democratic Party in the midterms by re- reducing inflation would release all this oil. See, I would, I would imagine that the oil in the reserves probably it uh, averages $50 a barrel, $60 a barrel. Right now the price is over $100 a barrel or close to it. So uh, right now, I guess it's the, the boondoggle is the fact that he's releasing oil that'll draw down the cost. He'll be able to sell to the American people the fact that uh, the price of uh, consumer oil and gas is going down and it's going down because we're using gas that uh, should be in reserves but instead is being used at that that lower price does that get it right uh, you did you did get it right and you know he claims that he will use the revenues to buy back more oil to replenish the reserves in the future uh we all know that's a joke you know C- congress is going to use that money and, you know, I'm talking about both parties, not the Democrats. Cardi, Congress will use that money uh, f- for something else, something wasteful. So, um, yeah, I'm seeing like this. Taxpayers, it's really getting shafted right by this release. Now, you know, short term, I mean, oil is the largest component of inflation because yeah. there's a multiplier effect. You know, when fuel goes up, you know, we, we all know how it affects deliveries, uh, the uh ingredients in certain products you know it's it's a huge factor in inflation how about Um, shipping getting getting products to market i mean there's it affects everything but uh, you know what you'd made the comment you know the the consumer is really getting shafted because of this can you name one policy that the president has put in place that doesn't shaft the consumer i I can't i I, (laughs) his his lies are amazing too uh well here's something you know, uh, Trump did not increase the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but in uh, March of 2020, he proposed using some of the COVID money to buy an extra 77 million barrels of oil for the Strategic Reserve. And the Democratic Party killed that proposal. They called it a bailout for the oil industry. Mm. And now, and now Biden is is claiming that he'll buy back all the oil he he's releasing, which would be a real boon for the oil industry. So it just shows you how two-faced he is. And I would love to see Biden's laptop, not his son's, to see who advi- who actually advised him to release the oil. And I guarantee you it was an economist. It was, it was his uh, yeah. political advisors because they see a Republican wave coming. See, I, I, they, he, I know he's doing whatever he can in order to pull his fat out of the fire going into the midterm elections. He's trying to make his uh, shirt tails, his coattails, uh, effective by being becoming more popular. I don't think he's got a prayer. I mean, he, quite frankly, in my opinion, was not duly elected. He was uh, the whole process was corrupted and uh, so he doesn't have a following he you know where are his supporters his supporters he didn't have any supporters in the first place and so now they've got kind of gone south on him i don't see any way that he revives his his uh, reputation and his opinion going into the midterms i uh, know and to that point uh, the washington post is is one of his biggest cheerleaders and uh, two days ago they they had an editorial criticizing him and Kamala Harris for what's about to transpire at the border, where the uh, where Biden on May 23rd uh, will uh, discontinue the uh, policy of limiting immigrants at the border based on COVID threat. Yeah, and and the Post is saying this is a disaster uh, waiting to happen, and, and it's going to destroy the. Re- Democratic Party. So so Biden losing a big cheerleader like the Washington Post speaks volumes about what not only what he's doing to his own political party, but I mean, he's wrecking his own political party because he's he's ruining the country. Yeah, it just makes me wonder with the change of uh, uh, the tune from the Times and from the New York Washington Post and from others that, that perhaps this is the time that uh, everybody's colluding to kind of throw Biden under the bus and get rid of him before the midterms. Is that possible? 
uh, it's not possible. But to your point, the, the uh, Wall Street Journal had an editorial this weekend that said, uh, don't throw Biden under the bus because as bad as he is, uh, Kamala Harris is worse. worse. <laughs> so, so, so let's stick Let's stick with the lesser of two evils. Yeah, good point. Again, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. And I can't say enough good things about this new book. I don't think you need to read the other two in order to read this new one. It's called No, no Problem. Oh, the other two re- are, are great reads as well. But uh, No Problem by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. Uh, we'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, will be back for another very interesting and vibrant interview as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. I've really got a nice nice email from one of our listeners. Uh, and do value that. I hope you'll, if you have any comments, uh, send it to me at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you like the show, tell your friends. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.